Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast, your weekly Fulham FC support group. My name is Sammy James, and on tonight's show, we will look at Fulham's impotent performance up at Villa Park, where we were the wrong side of a 2-1 defeat, and the villain of the villains, John Terry, bagged his first championship goal. Uh, we'll look back at all the talking points from Saturday's game, plus look forward to this weekend's match against Bolton and discuss the murmurings of discontent that are creeping in amongst Fulham fans. No lack of firepower on my team tonight, though, I have the pocket rocket, Don Betts. Hello, hello. Uh, I have the stats shooter, Ben Jarman. Hello, friends. And keeping things on target tonight, it's Drew Heatley. Hopefully, hello. How are we all doing? Very yeah, well. Bad. Well, it's a bit of a crush in central London tonight. I was walking down here and it is the FIFA Football Awards just mm. up the road. Uh, but they'll be celebrating some mediocre football whilst we talk about the uh, the real action tonight. So loads to get through. As I said, we'll look back at Villa, look forward to Bolton and answer your questions at the end as well. But first of all, uh, we should do some three-word reviews. Um, ben Jarman, what came in on the three-word reviews? I'll try and do Jack Proud today by uh, doing some my best for the uh, secretarial duties tonight. But um, I've got some pre-written uh, down. Um, we'll start with uh, LB number 11 FFC, who's a big fan of the pod, and he says, anyone but Terry. <laughs> uh, we have at Wickham, who says, where's the creativity? Um, and then we have Nick Ap- Aplin, who says, possession is pointless. And then we had a lot of not good enough. Um, I think the possession is pointless one is something that we could potentially talk about a little bit more as we get into the pod. Um, as I know, a couple of us in here probably think that's well quite the opposite. I was going to say, I can't imagine it's the uh, philosophy that you would um, you would promote if you were manager, Ben. But yeah, well, let's come on to that later on. Uh, first of all, got to say that Fulhamish is back this season uh, by Ladbrokes. Right now, you can bet £5, get £20, deposit just a fiver. They'll add another £20 to your account. You can get the offer by following the link at bet.fulhamish.co.uk. So yes, it was a disappointing 2-1 defeat up at Villa Park. Uh, a poor performance from Fulham, but still a little bit unlucky, Dom, not to come away with a point. Yeah, you can say that, but I don't think our performance really warranted one, if I'm being perfectly honest. I thought we were very, very sort of... Not, I wouldn't say we had a lack of ideas going forward, but we didn't look like we knew what we were doing. I think that started from the lineup itself. You don't spend £9 million on a number nine to play him on the left wing. And if you are going to play him, you don't need to play three central midfielders. You can drop him into the number 10 role. I would maybe drop Norwood to the bench or whoever you want to drop to the bench. You can't really be dropping your hands on the way he's really been playing at the moment. He's upped his form in the last month or so. But yeah, I just didn't understand the lineup. I would have started Font at number 10, Kamara at number 9, then maybe Molo, Cabano, Aite, or pretty much whoever you want out wide. And Because you can tell the way to attack Villa because their defence is so slow. They've got John Terry at the back. They're playing Alan Hussin in a weird inverted fullback role <laughs> at the moment, which Cabano and Fredericks had a lot of ease of getting past him in the second half, right by down by the away end. So, yeah, I just think it sort of started from the lineup, and you could tell that pretty much from the first whistle that they weren't really going to get much out of this game because he's weren't performing that well. We did start, I would say, the better team in the first five to ten minutes, but then after that, for the entirety rest of the first half, it was all Aston Villa. I can, only, you know, can say I watched up to the 35th minute, and then I went down for a beer because I had enough. And what a free kick you missed uh, whilst you were gone. And, Ben, it did seem... Quite simple the way to attack Villa. They have a slow defence. We've got lots of pacey wingers and we chose not to deploy them really or not at least on the left-hand side where we used Font. 
It does seem strange that we decided to leave, well, two of well, two of our arguably most quick and more exciting players on the bench in, in Molo. Um, and Cabano was on the bench as well. So I don't know why we didn't deploy him. And we also didn't try and get him behind particularly, uh, apart from what Dom said about getting him behind Hutton. And like we said last week, we, we don't have, our wingers don't get anywhere near close enough to our striker to be able to get him behind the centre-backs. And it's another fault of our play this, this weekend that the, the striker becomes quite isolated. And that's how you expose the centre-back is by getting the wingers in close and down in the channels and, and running and getting... Terry out of position and we didn't really do it a whole lot this week. It we don't a bit seem predictable to be, and slow. We don't seem to be attacking the byline anywhere in, as much as we used to and I feel like no. that's maybe one thing we're missing from not having a Luco. Well, one thing that we noticed we noted about our play last season was the fact that we got overloads in or in and around the box and then we attacked the byline really aggressively and this season, this season teams have stopped us doing it and we don't seem anywhere near capable enough of doing it anymore. Um, I think that's something we need to bring back into our play um, if we're going to really cause teams problems and it is... I think Aluko is really good at it and Aite is as well but he's not replicated anywhere near his form of last season and that, that is one of the questions we'll come on to later is how bad does he have to be before he's dropped yeah Drew obviously Slav is having to find alternative ways to accommodate what we currently have we know what we're missing we've discussed it lots of times Tom Kearney was back on the bench and as was Rafa Schwarz but they're obviously still not at 100% fitness but he's just struggling to find a plan B at the moment that's working. Yeah, I agree. And and the note on Font as well is he's got so much about his overall sort of play, um, and he's such a classy player. But I think bringing play, bringing others into play is one of his one of his sort of strengths. But I don't think you're going to be able to do it out on that out on that side. And there's such a with such an embarrassment of riches on the wings. I don't see why we we did it. And it just rang back, uh, sort of reminded me of McCormack out wide under under Kit, but. Um, yeah, Plan B, and we've said it. We said it a few times. Maybe not necessarily that that concrete Plan B, but what what can we do to adapt? And I'm I am starting to wonder uh, how how we're going to do that. I mean, people have mentioned three in the back of, before, and then sort of then changing it to have uh, you got the traditional sort of nine and ten up front, up top. But I, I I'm not sure at this point how how we 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 change it. And if I you know, I think one thing is I think Slav is trying to play all his best players, but not necessarily in a system that fits them all in. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna play the system we are, just pick the player who fits into each position. I, they may not involve all our best players, but you're gonna be playing a lot better football. Mm. So one, I don't understand that we know Sessegnon isn't a left back, and then we've got I presume a fully fit left back now on sitting on the bench who we bought on loan, and he's, Slav just doesn't seem to be using. I don't know if it's like a thing if your name's Slav because we're having the same problem that Slav and Bilic doesn't <laughs> seem to have a plan B either. And he sees me playing players out of position like Hernandez on the left wing. But yeah, he just doesn't seem to be, I wouldn't say he's stubborn to change, but I think he has his methods and he thinks this is it will work eventually. But sometimes that, does, that isn't what happens and he needs to change it about a bit because, yeah, there's no point paying on near enough yeah, nine, ten million pounds on a striker and playing on the left wing when his advantage, as you say, is his finishing and bringing players into play where he's going to be a lot more effective doing that through the middle, whether that's at number nine or a bit deeper in a number 10 role. It's a classic thing that England have suffered with over the years, that whole, we've got 11 of our best players here, we need to find them and put them into a system that works it was at like all costs. It was like when we played skulls on the wing. It, was just, it just didn't make any sense. But that... From, even, pick, a just, pick a system and play the best yeah, players that suit that we position. Had, we had three of the best centre midfielders in the world and we are playing a 4-4-2. 
but I, I didn't understand that. But yeah, it's just like he just seems to be trying to play all his best players at the same time, but not actually fitting them to a system that works. And we all know you can have the best players in the world, but it's pretty it's an, it's an actual system that wins a league. Example of Chelsea with the three four three last season with Victor Moses playing right wing back, and before that he wouldn't even had any sniff of getting in the Chelsea team. I thought Camera was particularly bright in the game, and he was instrumental in the opening chance that Fulham had before the Villa took the lead. Raced down the left-hand side and his cross to Font just didn't quite come off. And actually, I feel like the first goal in this game was quite crucial. Had it gone our way, it could have been a very, very different story. Well, yeah, because Villa fans obviously have massive expectations and if we take an early lead there, the fans are going to turn the players and that could obviously work in our favour. And Kamara, he is still very raw, but he has definitely has improved definitely since he's come in and he's he's showing like a commitment and passion that he want he wants to improve and he wants to be basically our, our focal man going forward really and, and keeps trying and he's making the, all the right runs and movement it's just the final ball which isn't quite getting there but I think Kamara should be continuing to play up front until Kenny's 100% fit with Font at number 10 I think that makes perfect sense I know it didn't exactly work completely against Forrest but we did get the win and it was a, it, we played a lot better there than we did against Villa because personally, until the second half when Fredericks and Cabana were linking up, we weren't actually getting that much in behind apart from the first five, ten minutes when we were the better team. But for the rest of the second half, I thought we were pretty poor. So are you saying whilst TC's injured that we revert back to a 4-2-3-1 with K-Mac and Steph Joe and just remove Norwood from the equation completely? Uh, well, I, what, what I've seen, although we, we haven't won that many games that I believe that Norwood's been critical to. Although he did play well against QPR, I'll give him that. But I think the way we played against Forrest showed that that worked with the system we have and the players we have. So mm. I didn't see a reason to not use that. I mean, he, may, he is maybe better a better player than Kamara if we're looking at in the individual positions. But if he doesn't, if Kamara fits the system and then Johansson fits the system and McDonald fits the system, I'd rather play that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think my only slightly negative. Um, point of view about the 4-2-3-1 is that Stephanie Hansen is a sort of like a defensive midfielder might not work because he has a tendency to just to wander off and then it leaves K-Mac completely overwhelmed by everyone else just attacking him it could leave him isolated and you know then it's just straight through into into the fullbacks and and the centre-backs and I thought one of our biggest problems this week is that we have a, a unit like a front three that try and press and harry and they're so easy to get through at the moment and then you have Norwood and Stephanie Hansen tried to close all the gaps and then they can't. Then it's McDonald and he can't, and it's the full backs and they're straight onto the centre. Yeah, I think so the reason to play I, through. I would say that I would say obviously the four two three one only because that's the only formation or system Slav has seemed to really play consistently mm. over the last two years. But yeah, if we're going to play, if we're going to play with the players who we've probably seen play best season, the best system is probably a four three three with yeah. no Kamara, with Font up the up top, with Molo mm. and Cabana out wide because. They're, I think they've been our two best wingers this season, 100%. Yeah, and I don't know why he's not playing Molo. Molo is just so... It, the, way, the way he linked up, actually, with Sessegnon when he came on against Forrest, I thought those two could actually build a good partnership up. Mm. But even if you're playing uh, Rafa at left-back and Sess on the left wing, I mean, when Sess was attacking Villa in the second half, Villa fans were worried. A few Villa fans I was spoken to was like, well, how is he at Fulham? He should be uh, playing at a lot higher level, in their opinion. And yes, yeah, so, so I don't understand the reason why we can't play a four-three-three. It may, it makes perfect sense with the players we've got. And although we did play a four-three-three on Saturday, it means we're not playing a striker on the left wing. Yeah, it took twenty-three minutes for Villa to get the opener, and we've got to come on to it. It was, of course, 
that man, John Terry, it was his first goal for Villa, his first goal that he's ever scored, not for the blue of Chelsea. Um, it was a quality cross from Conor Hurahan, although Kevin McDonald was a little bit weak in marking John Terry, and he should never had a free header in there, but you can't knock the ball that comes in from Hurahan. It's just begging for someone to get on the end of it. Well, as soon as someone hits that, you know it's going to go in. Yeah, you made your purr, didn't it, that ball from Horahan, and, and, and you knew that if anyone's going to jump up and get it, it would be Terry. But yeah, I was a bit surprised about McDonald because, you know, obviously I, we all rate him really highly here. But yeah, I think uh, Terry got ahead of him pretty easy, especially when you consider his age and, you know. But you've seen Terry do that so many times. And I guess it doesn't matter how good K-Mac is. Terry's very experienced and has... has won that header against far better players 15 than, years worth of experience shows than Kevin McDonald yeah. and just how typical was it that Fulham was the team that he opened his account for it, it almost seemed written in the stars I can't believe we didn't mention it in last week's preview in fact yeah he loves to as you mentioned in the intro he loves to play the villain um, I wasn't surprised at all to see him run over I'd have thought he'd have had a bit more respect having played with Slav back in the day but uh, I think we all know the type of uh, the type of man he is, so I'm sure none of us were particularly surprised. Well, I, I think he uh, the only ground he has scored against us is at Villa Park. As far I can't yeah. remember another goal. I remember the goal in the FA Cup at Villa Park, but I think maybe it was just the last ten years of pure abuse. Is that really the, is that really the case? He's I, never scored against Fulham in any it, other. But I couldn't physically remember one. No, Lampard got a load, and I, and, and he's a player I I mentioned because I hold him in the, as low a grade as I do Terry. But uh, I don't think Terry has actually got any in the, certainly in the league against us. I mean that is quite amazing for the amount of goals that John Terry actually did score. Um, for Chelsea as, as a as a centre back, and considering the amount of goals they scored against us in 13 years in the Premier League, um, and we didn't really deserve it, but got back into the game on 47 minutes. Um, Steph Joe, surely now our free kick specialist, two for the season, and this one just stunning from the from the uh, from the right hand side. Different to the Forest uh, free kick because it's obviously the other the other side of the goal, and he's just another top calculated effort from Steph Joe. And I know he's not performed as well as we'd like this season, but. You know, it's a, he's already a third of the way to his 11 league goals last year, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if a, a large percentage would come from uh, set piece situations now going forward. Ben, I'm going to throw you under the bus here, but you're a bit of a myth buster, so I wonder if you might enjoy this one. Um, now, it's commonly said that the best time to score is kind of directly just before half time, and, and quite often it gives you an impetus going into the second half. So, yeah. surely Fulham scoring in the second minute of of stoppage time, you'd imagine would have given Fulham that kick to go on in the second half. But I personally feel like it isn't a good time because that kind of instant boost that you get from scoring is instantly kind of taken away because half time's there and it's all like a level playing field again. I don't know if this is something that you've that you've know anything particularly about or... Um, I always feel like this is sort of a sensationalised thing from sort of like a Sky Sports sort of commentary side of things but I think there there certainly is some sort of um, emotional side of things because obviously the team that's just letting a goal or, or either being 1-0 up or holding out is obviously a little bit downhearted but they're going to get a team talk that is going to obviously boost them up a little bit um, and they want to kind of come out fighting which is what Villa did and when you get a team that probably starts the second half as badly as Fulham do um, they're all, Fulham always look weak in the second half so I'm not surprised that they came out against us and, and scored an early one to get a goal back. But 
Yeah, I guess I kind of see that psychological boost you have right before half time. It sort of like either gives you the upper hand, and you don't have a you don't have the right way to like push it through. Um, yeah, I, I do see where you're coming from. I don't know anything about it though, but no. I'll have a look into you know, it. The no, next you know, week, the, you know the classic. Oh, two nil is a dangerous scoreline, mm. and when really like you look yeah. at the stats and like it's not a dangerous. It's score not. Line. It's not that dangerous. I do feel like it's a massively hyped up thing for like a Sky Sports. Oh, it now changes the team talk. It's just another like dramatized thing. I mean, it isn't can it? change the game, but it, you, it requires it, yeah. you to come out in the second half and <laughs> continue playing at maybe a higher tempo yeah. or with more sort of confidence. But that clearly just didn't happen because I don't even know how to describe the second goal. It was just when I saw it live, I was like, what, "How has Adoma got that ball in the end?" We had a question on here a few weeks ago. It may even be last season now about how like why are we so bad when we start the second half, and it's just. It's always nagged me ever since, ever since we've like started doing the podcast that how bad we are at start at the start of the second half. We come out like it's just a walk in the park. Like we're gonna win six or seven nil. Like even if we're three or four nil, like two nil down or something, we always come out and just pass the ball around like it's a warm up session. Mm-hmm. It, I do it really we, annoys me. I do think we struggle to sort of get into the rhythm of games sometimes as well, mm. particularly after we've scored. Mm. So obviously we mentioned the break did it have an impact and it certainly didn't have an impact on the the fact that we we couldn't settle back down after we got that that equaliser and then obviously next thing you know you've got you know Ream turned inside out Callas sort of stuck on his feet and Frederick's bamboozled and it's just a horrible horrible way to, to go behind again well it's a bit of a shit house goal really and we seem to have a knack of conceding them obviously uh, Stephen Warnock scored that one for Burton which was Oliver Norwood's kind of deflection which just fell straight to him and this one kind of similar levels of shithousery to use the verb um it's start of the season from codger yeah well codger's air kick just falls perfectly for albert adoma but it is poor defending as 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 awful as an assist as it is it is it is poor frederick should be on adoma at this point really i know i know the ball's on the other side of the pitch so maybe he's coming in a bit narrower but Adoma's his man, and he should he should be there. Like, there's no one within three or four yards of Adoma at the back post. So, of course, I don't see how that's possible, really. I know you may be all being focused toward Jonathan Codger, but, yeah, it was just awful defending, really. And it, I wasn't surprised. I was just more annoyed at the fact that it's happened again, that it's just been awful defending that has cost us a goal. Like A lot of the time, we don't actually concede goals, which is just through actual talent. We could see, seem to concede most of our goals through our own fault. It was a lack of uh, another sort of lack of mental discipline again that I've mentioned before, and and you've seen it again and again this season. Uh, Cardiff, Middlesbrough, and QPR. I think they all scored, uh, rallied back uh, less than ten minutes after we scored, um, and it's that trying to settle back down into back into the game, and and I think it was break or no break. That's exactly what happened at the beginning of the second half. Yeah, you could just insert another cliche with. You're always most vulnerable when you just scored. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Best opportunity to equalise fell to Florida Ite. And really, he's not the cool head that you want that kind of ball to fall to, unfortunately. From as much as I really rate Floyd Ite, he's not been at his best this season, admittedly. But, I mean, we saw so many flashes of brilliance last season. But just in that situation, you just need that cool, composed head. Although you've got to take it away. You can't take it away from the Villa keeper, who is a brilliant save. It's a great save, and he's got a, he's got across the line well. But like Floyd should be putting that in. You at least elevate the ball slightly, or you know just yeah, use the run of the ball to put it over the top of the keeper. But I, I agree. I think Floyd's probably not the guy you want in that 
in that situation, you Cabano is arguably better um, in that situation if we're talking about wingers especially. Um, I think Floyd this season has just been a bit lacklustre. And when he has been in those situations, he hasn't been able to keep his head. To be fair, it's been very stop-start for him, though. He's kind of never got an extended run in the side, which doesn't help. Uh, to be fair, it was exactly the same last season. He missed a, a hell of a lot of games with injury and he was out for a few prolonged periods with um, like niggling groin and ankle injuries throughout the whole of last season he still managed to score what is it nine goals in the end mm. so he is capable of putting them away but this season he just looks completely devoid of confidence and I think it's like you say it is that run of games but I mean he had that last season so he's a little less blood and thunder than Cabano he's a little bit more cultured I think isn't he and, and I think mm. sometimes that might just sort of affect the way he can come in and out uh, sort of whereas I think every time you bring Cabano on or uh, from what I've seen of Molo as well, like they can just sort of slot back in because they've just got one setting and that's just go, whereas I think Aite has more, one or two more things that he's thinking about when he's playing. But we've seen it a lot actually this season, those fizzing balls across the box and, and players not being able to get properly on the end of it, whether that's Norwood or Ojo against QPR or mm. Cess, it's happened to Cess a few times and maybe we should just ping a load in in training and just make sure we get on the end of it. Well, because we were, we were doing that a lot down the right flank in the second half. Cabano and Fredericks were linking up really well. Alan Hutton didn't really have a chance, really, with the pace they've got compared to him and him playing on, on the other side to where he's used to. And we were getting balls in the box, but there was just no one on the end of it. And it, the amount of times Cabano was beating Hutton, Fredericks was beating Hutton, a ball was getting put in and there was just no one there. It was really annoying. So this is the thing about like being close to the centre-forward. We, we're, we're not getting any of the strikers or the midfielders anywhere near close enough to the centre-forward to be able to trouble other teams. Last year, we were cramming the box full of midfielders, yeah. having people run in late from the edge of the box. This season... None of that. Because by the time Cabano or or Fredericks, whoever's crossing the ball, and our striker's still outside the box. Yeah, he. They... It's almost as if we last year when we were building up play through through the thirds that we were moving up well as a unit and we were squeezing the pitch. And this season we're just not. Like the midfield isn't moving up quick enough. The the strikers aren't the wingers and strikers aren't coming in narrow enough to get into the box. Because at it's times our wingers are playing further advanced than our centre forward most of the time especially when we're, when we're bombing down the wings and getting these balls in well, that, mm. that isn't how it works Is that just missing Tom Kearney though? They can't surely just be down to him that this isn't coming off I mean you'd hate to say it's Tom Kearney FC but he's fundamental he really is Like he's much more than just someone that keeps the ball ticking over he knows when to get into the box he knows how to find a pass you watch him when he comes on he, he basically controls the whole game well, here's a question we had from BC Brown on Twitter. I hate to dip into your post bag. It came in a few days ago. Um, would you rather a 50% Tom Kearney or a 100% fit Oliver Norwood? I think you saw the two sides of the 50% Tom Kearney against Preston and against Villa. Like, and you, Obviously, he starts all the time, but when you see him come on, you can see uh, a little bit more what he brings to the side because you've just seen 45 minutes previous what he hasn't done. Uh, having said that, yeah, whereas he changed the game at Preston, maybe not necessarily, maybe it might just have been more through morale boost than anything else, but he was, uh, he was, there were still flashes of brilliance. And I think if you had that 50% fit Tom Kearney in that game, then obviously you're going to take him. But then Villa is a bit, he couldn't affect the game as much against against Villa. I'm going to say Norwood, 100% fit, because Kearney, with a 50%, he's not going to start, he's going to come on. And I just don't see him as an impact substitution. I see, I, if, he's, if he's coming, if he's. If he's starting, then he comes off, maybe. But if he's coming on in the, in the latter half of the game, I don't, I don't see him being a massively impacting player. Then if you bring on a, a pacey winger who's going to be a slow, a slow defender, but then 
you could you have the same issue where they're forward and the striker's still behind. So I think we just need to persist with with a system that we we think that Tom Kenny's not in until he's hundred percent fit because we never really know when he's going to be back. I wasn't fully expecting him to be hundred percent fit until at least next month, and then once he is, then we can see really where us, our team lies this season and really if we're just going to be in, finishing mid table mediocrity or we're actually going to make another late push for the playoffs, which would be great. But then are we going to win a playoff game? Because we, I don't think we ever have. Um, some chat on Twitter today, and I must admit this is from a very small minority, but kind of wanting Slav to go or thinking maybe that Slav isn't the man or he's not pulling it together this season. I mean, what, what, do, we, what do we think of that? Surely nonsense right now to have any kind of... It's nonsense, negative. but I understand to an extent where they're coming from because Slav seems has seemed to be this season is not, as I said, not once stubborn, but he doesn't seem to have this second idea or he has one idea and he has to, he, he, he just fits our best players into that. So I think he just, he sometimes he just picks the wrong team and I think he gets a lot of praise and some, I think some of it last season was due to actually a lot of individual quality more than maybe a t- tactical genius in a way. But there's no reason why he should be leaving, but I don't think he should... He, with the team he's got, we should be a lot higher in the league than we are. Mm. He's wed to a particular style of football, um, and I think that, you mentioned earlier, we're not Tom Kenny FC, but we're also not Slav FC, but I think they're both two figureheads where if we win, you know, it's great, and then if we don't, then then he's sort of the scapegoat, as it, as it were, from through tactics or whatnot. So, But I think if we if we sort of look at this measured... Yeah, from a measure perspective, there's absolutely no way we should be getting rid of him. But as soon as obviously one or two dissenting voices come up, then that sort of kickstarts the narrative. But I think we should say right now that it's not the right in any way, in any reality. Yeah, I right think move. he kind of also gets a pass because of the whole recruitment thing. Because people say, oh, it's not his players, it's the board's players, and he's just doing the best he can with it. But we've still got a, a pretty good team, and we've got pretty much two players for every position in his normal 4-2-3-1 Tactics. I don't. I don't. I don't see it. But I mean, there's rumours again. If Slaven Bilic goes, West Ham are going to be in for him again. And that's what I've read. He's one of the favourites to get the West Ham job if Bilic goes, which for me wouldn't make any sense from either point of view. Really, I don't. I don't really. Th- I, I don't think he's the best option West Ham can get. I think there's a lot better they can. And if he was to go leave us, I don't really know who who else you could bring in who do great of our squad. Maybe I or Cranker. But that's pretty much any person who comes. Well, this to my is mind. just what I wanted to ask before we go into the break. If you could pick another championship manager right now to manage Fulham instead instead of Slav, who would you pick? Nuno Santos. I don't really. I don't think anyone else is really on his level. I mean, what he's done in Portugal mm-hmm. is pretty good, and I not there's not many there's not really that many good managers in the championship really. Like I saw someone saying on Twitter that he'd rather have Neil Warnock than Slavica Djukanovic. I'm just like. I don't understand where yeah, you threw up when I saw that. I, was, so I don't. I don't understand where the brain process for that comes in. One, we all hate Neil Warnock, so I don't understand why I'd want him in. Just because he can grind out results doesn't mean he can doesn't mean he can actually do well with you in the league. Because Cardiff, for me, aren't going to finish in the top six. They just had a good start to the season, like we said with Ipswich. So yeah, I just I just think fans are just too easy to jump the gun now, and it's like. We aren't doing that badly, and I, I think it's just we haven't had a run of games where we can win. We're coming up now. We've got two home games against two sides, which we should be winning. If we get six points out of these two games, then 
that goes into the Wolves game with some confidence. And although it'd be tough, if you get something from that Wolves game, it's a totally... Say you get seven points from the next nine games. I know it's quite optimistic to think that way, but I can't... I think it'd be a lot more positive outlook. I think Fulham fans and football fans in general just truly jump the gun when a poor performance or a loss comes in. Um, Drew, who would you pick uh, as another championship manager, an alternative to Nuno, who is obviously a very valid choice? Maybe a Gary Monk? Do you know what? I was going to go with Nuno as well, and I don't think that we want necessarily a British manager at this point. I think we've got an, uh, an identity. We're building something uh, based on this possession football and this this lovely attacking style. I think that we've seen in the last, since 2012 or 13, whenever it was that we ousted Yol, that the uh, the chopping and changing is just absolutely disastrous. So I, I, I'm just really reticent to mention any other manager because I don't want to endorse it. <laughs> Ben? Oh, I really loved Nuno. I thought he was brilliant in Portugal and he actually done well at the absolute uh, shipwreck that was Valencia for a time as well. Um, I like Leeds manager at the moment. I think he's playing some good good football, but I, I think um, you have to stick with Slav. Um, if you look at last season, it was an absolute fairy tale and um, people need to remove themselves from the situation and feel like this is actually reality. We're a team where we don't really have a talismanic player we're a team that has a certain type of player. We don't have a plan B, which is why our manager at present time is sort of tied to only playing in a certain way. And that's why we are just playing in a possession-based way. And that's why we have 624 passes to 260 on a weekly basis because we try and pass through other teams. We are wedded to an identity and we have one. And it's a, in my opinion, it's a beautiful one and I'd rather we wouldn't change. But... Some people want Warnock and some people don't. Um, but th- there we are. Um, I think, uh, uh, you know... I think people are I expecting too much. Yeah, we are expecting too much and it's just off the back of last year. And if you look at it, our transfer window, we bought players and we got invested in, which is something that people are really quick to point out that Khan doesn't invest in players. He has, he totally has. But I would argue we've invested quite a lot of money in potentially the wrong places. Our centre-back and defensive investment was little to none. Um, We bought in the wrong players in the wrong positions. Um, And that's why subsequently our form and our performances on the pitch aren't as good as they should be with a squad of this quality. And people last season, of course we finished season well, but that teams have good runs of form. It's what it's what it's how football it's how football works. Yeah, it's and what, and just perfectly times. You could, Absolutely phenomenal. I think you, I, I think you can just you can just argue that we had a really good run of form, and actually, when we if you take how we play as a whole, it isn't actually a top two performance. If we because a, a way a, t- a team finishes top two, we saw with Brighton last season and Newcastle was sent. You get there by just grinding out results. We weren't a team last year who were just grinding out results against these teams. We were just. But basically playing on full throttle and playing really high risk and it paid off for the majority of the second half of the season when really, if you look at the first half of the season, it's pretty much similar to what it is now and yeah. I think people are expecting too much from what Last we've season we were sort of like pounding teams until they were like into submission with passing and like overcrowding and, you know, just little sequences and corners, touch and go, one touch. Now it's very predictable teams are standing off us and letting us just pass ourselves into situations where... We don't have a clue what we're going to do with a ball. Like, for example, we would pass ourselves into like a dead end, and then teams will put pressure on us and counter because they know that Reem and Callas are completely exposed because the fullbacks are nowhere to be seen. That's the way to play against Fulham, and people are now recognising that. 
and we need to change it. Okay, well, a big opportunity to pick up some points in the next week. We're going to be looking at that after this. Jack, how do you like your beer? Ideally in multiple quantities. Well, I can do that in multiple quantities and I can give it to you for free thanks to our mates at Beer52. How does eight free craft beers and you pay only the postage and packaging sound to you? It sounds incredible. Free beer all over the gaff. Shout out to Beer52. You can get that right now by using the code FULHAM at beer52.com. What they'll do is they'll send you a box of beer just like this one we have here. Eight free craft beers straight to your door. All you need to do is use the code FULHAM at beer52.com. Pay the postage and packaging. It's that simple. You going to do it, Jack? Yes, I am. Let's get on it. Sign up now. Fulham at beer52.com. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James, joined here by Ben Jarman, Drew Heatley, and by Don Betts as well. So on Saturday, we face a Bolton side who are on a mini upturn of form after a disastrous return to the championship after promotion from League One last season. Hadn't won a game until last Saturday's 2-1 win over Sheffield Wednesday at the Macron. And this weekend, though, they did pick up a decent point uh, against QPR. In fact, uh, Adrissa Silla saved a point uh, for QPR about 15 minutes from time. However, with just two points on the road all season, this is surely the definition of a must win. We've actually had pretty hard home games when you look at the table and look at the sides we've faced up till now. But if, if you can't get three points from here and we're saying, uh, are we actually even playoff material are we promotion material uh, when we're looking back at the Villa game if we can't pick up three points here then I mean a lot of hope is lost mm-hmm. I think you can't take anything less I know you, you should say that going to pretty much any game but it, 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 yeah it just we just simply need to win the, win this game there's nothing else really to say I mean we've our home, perform, our home performance this season there's nothing really of any of just has this has been absolutely from any any massive bits of quality. I know last season our, our home performance was really really poor. I think we were at eleven or twelve in the home table and first in the away table, so our away performance kind of saved us. But yeah, we just need to start just finding a way to win games. I know it's just a very easy thing to say, but it is we do. We just seem to be playing in a in, in a way and say, oh, the goals will eventually come, the wins will eventually come. Well, they don't need to eventually come; they need to be coming now. Yeah, I think we're waiting and waiting and waiting. Like last year, we're thinking, okay, so our, we, we timed our run perfectly. We can afford to lose this week and then we'll look at next week and then try and mount this run to the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. It's the very definition of a should win. We should win this uh, against Bolton on the weekend and uh, it should be, uh, you know... It should be one of those ones where we just literally play play the way we're comfortable with playing. Uh, we're gonna have we should have too much for them if we want to make the playoffs. Then this uh, this should be the one the, the game that we just put everything to bed and start looking to sort of make make a bit of a run. Um, we'd probably expect Bolson are gonna stick eleven men behind the ball. Um, Fulham aren't really great at trying to counter teams that come to the cottage and do that. We find it hard to break teams down and create that incisive ball. So what should Slav do a bit differently this weekend to try and break through those two solid banks of fours that no doubt we're going to come up against? For me, I think you could probably look at it in two different ways. You could possibly look to overload in wide areas and hope to draw them out wide. Um, but then that means you'd probably have to sling balls into the box and we don't really have that sort of player that you can just bombard the centre-backs with balls against. I mean, you could probably do it to Kamara, but I don't think he's got that presence. Well, what you could possibly do is maybe switch to like a three at the back and go 3-4-3 three, three, and just have three sitting centre-backs, all three of them probably a little bit capable of um, playing the ball out. So like Madal, Callas, Reem, all three of them are pretty good at passing. You could have... 
a couple of fullbacks pushed up fairly high and you can have two passing midfielders and then three pretty tight four forwards looking to get get in behind and down the channels and just well, get in behind. If we're playing that 3-4-3 three, three of the system, then obviously the, pl- the, the front three, with, I presume it'd be Font, with then two in behind. Yeah. And then they'd be a lot closer to the forward, as you mentioned, exactly. and, the ru- and then be running at the centre-backs instead of running at the full-backs. And yeah. that, I mean, that, would, that, was, that does require, obviously, a lot, a lot of work rate from Cessnion and Fredericks, making sure they're getting up and down the wing. I think... Yeah, so it, what, I, what I would do this is just me i'm not saying that's right by any stretch of the imagination and if if it was on fm and you probably know this better than i do i'd probably get probably lose like seven nil but what <laughs> i would do is just match the, the four across the middle up against the four in the bottom midfield and literally just pin their pin their full backs and their their midfield back well yeah. can we afford to take a few risks at the back since bolton have scored seven goals this season well that's why i think three center backs there just to cover everything yeah, I mean, as long as they'll they'll rarely attack in the game is what I'm going to see. And if they get through the midfield, you expect our three defenders to be able to cover these positions because Reem and Callas and Maddo aren't exactly like the slowest centre backs in the world. They've yeah. got, they've got good pace about them, and they they've been in positions where they have made good recoveries. So that system that system would work. I just can't see Slav doing it. No, I can't do it either. Like. <laughs> In an ideal world, it might happen, yeah. but in a Slav world, it's not. And we've seen as well with like Burton and, and Rotherham last season that when teams come and they really try and stifle us, it can be a horrible 90 minutes. And I just really hope that it's not. Because if they're going to sit 11 men behind the ball, you, you're going to have you're going to have the ball anyway. There's no there's not a need to play a specific possession game of football because although someone said uh, is their point of having is possession pointless, it's not pointless. But there's no point in having possession for the sake of possession possession isn't pointless but you have to do something with the possession you've got so you have to be not aggressive with possession but you have to be assertive with it and if you're not doing anything with possession if you're being passive with the ball there's literally no point in having the ball if you're being aggressive or assertive of it then possession game is is one that works like Barcelona or Napoli that's possession game that works possession game that doesn't work is Louis van Gaal Manchester United where you're so passive you might as well not be there well, as you say, we did struggle, though, last season against the sides that actually got relegated. I mean, we got two wins and a draw against those three sides at the Cottage. Blackburn got that late equaliser. We got a late goal against Wigan in a game we didn't really deserve to win. And we struggled past Rotherham. So we're not exactly in the business of going and smashing these weak sides 5-0. In fact, we tend to do that against um, other playoff contenders. Um, on a side note just looking at the league table really quickly I've just noticed that a third of Burton's goals came against Fulham this season upsetting cheers for that Sam (laughs) thanks Sammy (laughs) Um, one player that I feel like we should be aware of Adam LaFondra has 12 appearances this season Um, I feel like he's a player that loves scoring against Fulham I feel like he's got quite a few over the years He's he's a, he's a handy striker as well in the championship at championship level. What well, he had time at Cardiff last season as well, didn't he? Uh, Lafondra yeah. definition of super sub. Yeah, and so you've definitely got to look out for him. And and uh, I've just seen uh, recently that Bolton have signed Cole Henry as well, which gives them. I've got in my notes here gives them a shithead in the middle, which does. Yeah. <laughs> and and you talk about people that we hate. Well, there, there's one right there. So it, you've got to watch out for him because he gives them that little that that bit of experience. And they've got uh, obviously former. Fulham alumni, Pratt, Prattley as well. You could still looks like he can do uh, bits and bobs. So good at the weekend, didn't he? Yeah. So you've also got to, you've always got to watch out for. I know Sammy Obi is not exactly the technically greatest player in the world. But we've always got to watch against him on a counter attack. Mm. If we, if let's say we we did play this three four three, which I can't see happening, 
he he's the one who he's going to be one on the side who's going to get who's going to burst through the middle four and attack our defenders. But yeah, I think they haven't really we haven't got really much to worry about. It's more we've got to worry about ourselves more than Bolton. We've got to make sure we don't just have possession for the sake of possession, that we actually are assertive and do something with it. Because yeah, it's just. We need we need to start just putting away teams at home. There's there's no two ways about it. It's not like just because they put eleven men behind the ball, we it's like okay, we can't win today. You, you there is a way to beat it, and because teams prove it. I'm pretty sure when I know Man City and us are just there's no really way to compare them. But teams are obviously going to put eleven men behind the ball at the Etihad, and they seem to score three, four, five, six goals past them. So it's not exactly it's mission impossible against these sort of teams to score. Yeah, you don't want to be over. You don't want to be over simplistic about it at all. But obviously, if we're thinking about getting close to that top six, then obviously these are the games that you have to get three points from. And how we do it is up to Slav and the boys. Uh, you mentioned it previously. I will move on to my little uh, discussion point for the today. Uh, JT got his first goal for Villa against us on Saturday, and it was a pretty heart-crushing moment, to be honest. So uh, I thought I'd ask you, before we move on to some of the listener questions, which opposition players have Fulham loved to hate over the years JT's up there the other one that is obvious from Chelsea is uh, Frank Lampard and I think there's a few other uh, players that have donned the blue shirt from up the road uh, who would be mentioned in these in these phrases as well but are there any that you particularly stand out because it's not like we are a we're not a fan base that's potentially had dozens and dozens of players to hate like maybe Man United's or Liverpool's or bigger clubs have had over the years but still, there's still a few there that wouldn't get a great reception from the hammy end I mean, there's one I can always think of I've just never liked Gabriel Bonhall and I don't know why I think it was I think he maybe scored one goal for Villa I think it was in the first half and he just celebrated in front of the Hammersmith in the Riverside end but because I was trying to think players who don't play for Chelsea QPR or Brentford but if I was going to go for a team for players so maybe their team maybe Clint Hill but I just I just, yeah, I just I never liked Clint, Clint Hill, Hill. I, I, I just think Lee Catmull, yeah, definitely. I think uh, what what's going on in the front three rows of the Hammersmith end because the amount of players that that score at the Hemi end and give it large, all just, even when nothing's happened throughout the whole game, it's still like I don't know Norwich or something where we have no beef with them whatsoever. But they'll give it to the Hammersmith end. I'm thinking, who's in those front three rows yeah. that are giving them all the gym? <laughs> what the gym? are they doing? I do genuinely think there's something about. I know we're not the most intimidating of fans, but there is something about our proximity to the players that I think some of the insults that in a bigger stadium wouldn't get through Mm. to the players they can hear it and sometimes makes them a bit more up for it Um, Ben are there any others that stood out for you with this one definitely hated Lee Catamol I've always done Um, Suarez for Liverpool when he was playing used to get quite a bit of stick from the Hammersmith end I think he celebrated in front of us before as well Um, and uh, was it Sturridge that got the last-minute goal for Liverpool against us and then done his little dance, dance in front of uh, the Hammersmith end as well? Yeah, Richard Bamber got in touch on Twitter with that one. So Daniel Sturridge celebrating that hat-trick for Liverpool in front of the Hammy end the way he did with a nice smiling poo emoji yeah, to, uh, exactly. to accompany that tweet. Yeah, um, uh, I always remember uh, Ronaldo basically running it all the way from the halfway line and um, smashing it past the keeper and then celebrating in front of the... the um, one of the ends as well. I think it was the hammy end. Yeah. Um, quite smugly as well. But that was when he basically secured United the title that day. So yeah. I don't know if you can blame him or not. Yeah. I do remember William Gallas getting very upset by the crowd. Can you remember with the... Uh, 
And he did the thumbs down to to the Stevenage Road stand. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, it was Johnny Haynes' stand. Yeah, wasn't it? when he got ki- when he got sent off. Uh, that was the time we beat Chelsea at the cottage. And then some other great suggestions coming in uh, on Twitter. Dean Holdsworth, pretty sure he got Boa Morte sent off once. Says uh, Tim Elkington. Uh, this is one I can't believe we haven't mentioned. Darren Bent. Oh. For that celebration against Brighton, I've I, I think that's the angriest I've ever seen Fulham fans when he when he did that celebration with cupping his ears over. Because before the... before he joined us, I didn't actually mind him because yeah. one of my mates who lives really close to he's, he's, he's like I think his dad's cousins with Darren Bent, so I was like, okay, don't mind it. But then as soon his, that year in thirteen fourteen, I don't know what he did, and then when he nothing, yeah, basically the goal against, <laughs> against goal against Man United was all he did. Yeah, that one-yard screamer. Although yeah. it was great celebrations in that 2-2, two, two, it was literally from a yard out. I don't remember <laughs> doing much else. And then when he scored with Brian, he cupped his ears, and then Roddy Yeager just silenced him. So <laughs> it's all fine. Uh, we had some other tweets as well. Um, Adam Darch said Clayton Donaldson. Have we had any? I don't remember any particular beef. Maybe it's no. just a personal thing for Adam. I think we, I, I just dislike him because I know he's so bad. <laughs> and then he seemed yeah. to just always score. Um, and uh, Colm Bugler says uh, anyone that plays for Derby and last year reiterated it never forget be interesting to see what reaction he gets I think that's coming up quite soon the Derby home game not that he's played too much for Derby this season but if he did come off the bench I'd be very interested I mean that's why reaction. it's been chosen for TV you know the Chris Martin Derby <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally George agrees with you Carl Henry biggest shit house on two legs there you go. Was uh, was uh, so was George's true. very own words, right? Um, oh, actually, I've got one to add. Oh yeah, go on. Jake Bidwell, is it the right back? For yeah, QPR? For QPR. So shit. He <laughs> <laughs> plays really well against us every time. I, I, just, I can't. Okay, right. Um, Secretary Ben, we need to get some questions yeah, down, sure. please. Um, we'll start from one for, from the old email inbox, shall we? Yes, we please. Got, we go old school. Yeah, it's quite nice to go old school. They can elaborate on their points as well in the inbox. Yeah, you're not limited to 140 characters. Or Pod. 280 if you've got a special account. I, don't, I still don't know how to do that. you just got to be important. No, yeah. not that you're not, Sammy. But yeah, yeah, no. Is Fulham really mission not important enough? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Oh, I mean, not. we're not even verified yet. No, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. I've, I've sent the form off about 20 times. Yeah. Still nothing. Um, anyway, this one is from uh, Julian Eccles. So thanks for getting in touch, Julian. And he says, Hi, pod people. Uh, love the show. Makes Tuesday commute so much more bearable. Uh, question is, was at the Villa game and noticed from the side angle that our midfielders were outpaced and slower to the ball. Have we got the right balance in that department? Cheers, Julian. At the, at the game on Saturday, it was just a very full, poor performance all round by the midfielder. It seemed like we had our defence and our attack and there was nothing linking it in the middle in the, way, in the way we were playing yes Stephanie Hansen scored a free kick and it's not going to help my agenda that Stephanie Hansen's <laughs> been absolutely woeful this season and he's just had a few goals which has <laughs> overlooked that a bit but yeah, I don't think it's that I think maybe I think we just had an off day and we, we're not really in a position where we can be having off days at the moment and our midfielders need to be playing to their and everyone needs to be playing to their best ability every single game now so I think it wasn't that there was a lack of energy I just think it was just one of those one of those games where we we're never going to get anything out of the game. Yeah, I think speed has uh, has never been one of the problems that we have in this squad. It's it's what we do with that speed and and what and what direction we choose to play slash running. So hopefully, I mean, if we did have speed as being one of our problems, I think we'd be in, in trouble. I think it was just poor off day on on Saturday. Particularly, TC was quite slow whenever he got the ball when he came on. But I assume that is literally just down to. 
um, his fitness. Um, one question I was thinking with TC, with um, Bolton maybe not being the most fearsome of teams we're going to face this season and with potentially facing, well, not potentially, we are facing Bristol City um, three or four days later, would you potentially be tempted to put TC on the bench against Bolton and then maybe risk him for the Bristol City, which is going to probably be the harder of the two? Uh, I don't think whilst uh, Bolton are the most fearsome team, they probably could be the one of the most physical teams that we mm. play. And uh, I'd rather him not end up with a exploded knee uh, <laughs> prior to Bristol. So um, uh, maybe not risking for this one. I think we've got enough quality to get past Bolton minus TC. Yeah. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. And uh, what was your thoughts on, on Julian's question? Um, I think I agree with Drew. I think we've got a, a. I don't think pace has ever been an issue with the Fulham squad under Jukanovic, and um, I think uh, fitness could be though. Um, I don't think we look anywhere near as sharp as we were last season. I still think towards the end of games, um, we seem to flag anywhere from about the 70th minute onwards. Everyone seems to look absolutely dead on their feet, and that is with us bossing possession as well. And with the teams that sort of in control of possession, they normally tend to hold their fitness more than other teams and. We tend not to, um, so I think there is a little bit of concern there. Um, I'm not sure about the balance of the midfield, actually. I think Julian does have a point. I think it's slightly imbalanced at the moment. I think Norwood's a bit conservative for what we're looking for. He's a bit, a little bit too play it safe. I think maybe Slav could just easily be, could be overworking the players with it, with it, with the whole preseason after what we had last season with the how it finished. It was obviously finished terribly and. So maybe he thought, okay, we need to go full throttle this year and go for it. And the players simply don't have the stamina, don't have the, the fitness to keep up with that. If that could be a reason why, but or or maybe they, they weren't worked hard enough over the summer because they had such a good season. He maybe gave them an, an extra break, for example, the likes of Tom Kearney and things like that. But yeah, I think it was mainly just an off day. But the balance in the midfield, I think, is because we don't have a replacement number ten really. Mm. Because we're always going to play this four-two-three-one system, and you got to have the number ten to, to play it. And apart from apart from Kenny, the replacing number ten is Pierson. But Pierson obviously went off injured at Leeds in August. So I think it it is an imbalanced midfield, but there isn't really much we can do about it if we're going to continue to play the four-two-three-one system. You okay. need to be finding that replacement number ten, and because we don't have it, that's why it probably seems imbalanced. Okay, cool. what's uh, what else is in the post bag? Um, so we'll go to good old social media from now on. Um, and uh, we'll start with uh, we'll start with Lester Wyatt who says how bad does Floyd AT have to be before he is dropped and Sessegnon is pushed on well I, I think we've we've got two wingers on a bench who I play ahead of Aite at the moment because but yeah I think everyone was expecting that Sessegnon Molo and, and what about Graham? Graham I know he's not really on the bench but yeah, so able... another question is where's Graham gone but well, yeah, we're I'm buying into this one, shall yeah. we? We've only seen Graham against Burton. I know he was shocking in the 20 minutes or 15 minutes he played, but you can't really judge a player, judge a player on that. Yeah, as we mentioned loads of times, we've had loads of players over the years, not just players in this team like Lee Hansen, who, when they first came in, were, were not unfit, but only got like 10, 15 minutes and didn't prove themselves. So I think, yeah, I would I would play Cabana and Molo over Ite at the moment. I'd play Cessnon over Aite on the left wing because that's where Aite predominantly plays and then play Rafa at left-back. So I don't... Yeah, I, I wouldn't play Aite in the next two games. I mean, it's because I've never been a huge fan of him. I've always preferred the, the way Cabano plays to Aite, although Aite is, you could say, a technically better player. I think, yeah, as we, as we said, Cabano's more full-throttle and will continuously run at opponents and won't try and, and do too much. And we saw that last season in a stage where he wasn't scoring great goals, but he was getting the goals that was needed. 
So I think, yeah, I would drop Aito. I, yeah, I mean, I would as well, but I, he didn't have a great game against Villa, but he was involved in quite a lot. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I do think he's got I think he's got more strings to his bow than perhaps somebody like Gabano does. But I think at this stage, when we're looking at the way we're playing and the way we're trying to cope without Kearney, I think maybe Cabano is the option for now. Uh, but I, I really uh, expect Graham to play a, a, a larger role going forward. I think we haven't seen much of him yet, but I fully expect him to get a bit of a run, um, perhaps in the busy Christmas period. I think yeah, I'd really like to see what he's capable of. He, I mean, we, we saw it um, in some of his highlights reels when, when he arrived. He can really whip in a ball, and sometimes you feel like it's crying out for someone that can just take a risk and whip in a ball. And I know we haven't got necessarily the... Um, strikers that are best suited to that but you'd imagine that Kamara would be would enjoy getting on the end of a few of those we saw his towering header against Middlesbrough I could see him flying at a few as well I just wouldn't mind seeing Graham on the pitch maybe in one of the next two home games and just seeing what he's capable give him a bit more than the 15 minutes that he got at a difficult game against Burton where nothing was really going our way that day and it was a flipping terrible referee I just quite like to see see what he's capable of, and unfortunately for Ite, just not clicking for him at the moment. Fair enough. Um, in my opinion, um, I'd quite like to see a little bit more of Molo. Um, I thought when he made his debut, he showed some really nice flashes against a, a, a physical and uh, quite brutal um, Cardiff side, and um, I thought he was probably one of our biggest sources of inspiration. And I know. He definitely inspired a very strange man in the uh, Fulham store afterwards who was so obsessed with Molo that he got a shirt printed and then about a thousand photos in it afterwards. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to see Molo a little bit more. Um, Graham, I aside from Burton, um, I could see why Slav has sort of lost confidence in him because it was it was a, a slightly poor performance. And once a manager loses confidence in the player, it's very hard for that player to get the confidence of his manager back and especially with someone like Slav who sort of has experience in Spain and that's very much the culture out there. Um, you could see why um, he doesn't really want to pick him, but like I do think he'll feature a little bit more. He, he has certainly got some sort of attacking quality, shall we say. Moving on. Yes. Uh, shall I go for... I'll go for something that we've slightly covered already, but I think this is a bit more of a, a blunter question uh, than we've currently touched on. So... Is it time to admit that uh, Slavisa Jokanovic laid the groundworks, but he's not the right man to lead us forward? And that is from Tom Pound. True. Okay, so I guess the, the logical... I don't want to put a question back, but who would then build on that groundwork? I mean, we mentioned Nuno, but who who are we saying has the, the same philosophy that will use that get more out of the players that we've got than Slav would right now? Unfortunately, Tom hasn't provided <laughs> that. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, well, I think that is the I question. I can certainly see the question back. It's correct. Like, that, that is the thing. Is as it's not like Slav has some natural successor. He's not like Slav Junior, who's going to come in and actually he's the uh, next part of the factory line. There is no yeah, one it's that's. Like, it's like not. It's kind of like sacking Mourinho and then bringing Vias Boas, who was meant to be Mourinho Junior, but wasn't actually good enough. Ended up being Mourinho Light. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult. And I don't. This isn't aimed at you, Tom. It really isn't. But it's the people that say, "I want to sack ex-manager, and we should bring in Harry Redknapp," or "I think we should sack Cooman and bring in Gordon Strachan." It's just like, okay, but in what world is that going to work? Like, like who is the right man? Yeah, there is substance. The there right is guy. substance to his point. Yeah, there is definitely. But sure. they're just, as you said, there isn't anyone 
who can continue what he's done. There are very good managers out there who are available, I guess you could say, like Aitor Kranko, who did leave Middlesbrough to promotion, but the side they had is nothing like the side we are. Yes, they, they had maybe a Doma as the winger and uh, people up front who are going to guarantee you goals, but it's just... It's just that you need, if you're going to do something like, yes, he's laid the groundworks and then you need someone else to continue this on, you need someone who's a manager in the same mould. And I don't think there really is someone out there unless you're going to the top, top level to bring them in. So, yeah, I think there is something to his point and you, I could agree with the point that maybe I don't think Slav can take us any further than he, than he has. But I don't really think there's anyone else you can bring in who can, can do a better job at the moment. I think we forget how long it took them to appoint Slav. Can you remember how long it was mm, between yeah. Kit Simons yeah. getting fired mm. and then finding Slavisa and they kept going, we've got to find the right man, we've got to find the right man, and how terrible. we. I don't think we won an entire game between Kit being sacked, and I don't necessarily think that was the wrong decision back then, and I think the actual first game we won was the day that Slav was appointed. And Against it wasn't, Rotherham. Yeah, and it wasn't actually Slav in charge. And that Stuart period, Graham, of, unser- that period mm-hmm. of uncertainty was... was was awful because I think was Slav's first win against QPR. Yes, away, in three one. Because yeah, because I was I didn't I wasn't at the games in his first six months, but you could you could sort of tell there was something there, and that he was getting something out of players. And then once he had a full season or preseason under him, we could make progression. And I think we can we can do a lot better, like with the, with the players we've got. And they, people could argue now that maybe it's Slavisa isn't the be all and end all, but there isn't the end all available I think is the best way to say yeah, gone are the days where I think sides in the championship do a quick fire sacking of a manager halfway through the season and that then that fires them to promotion actually the sides that you've seen that have gone up in the last few years have all had steady managers for several years I think the only exception to that rule is Slavisa himself <laughs> yeah. At Watford, which but that, t- that team should have gone up anyway. It was always going to go up because they kept they kept switching the managers and they kept going up. But I agree with you, Sammy. I think if a championship club parts with a manager, it's the board saying, "Okay, well, that's this season. Let's now start planning for the next season." Like we did with Kit when we when it looked like we weren't going to make the playoffs, we weren't going to get it, or he didn't. What was it? I think he hadn't reached the amount of points that he was supposed to get at that point oh, in the season. Yeah. That that, that it's said in the it? statement, didn't it? And then so then he was gone. And I think at that point, we never expected to go up. I think that we were then just planning for the season after, and obviously we know what happened. So it's an, I think it's an admission that the season's over rather than let's try and push on. I don't know. I guess for me, it's just he's still the right man. And the groundworks are certainly there, but the failing has been this summer in the fact that we've obviously we, we've made that advance and we haven't been able to press on ahead with it in the fact that we've made probably the wrong signings and uh, we've just had probably the wrong run of the green with Kearney's injury and a couple more bits and bobs here and there that just you know, haven't gone the right way for us. I still firmly believe that Slav is the right man. I just wish he'd be a little less stubborn and a bit more flexible. Because you talked about the recruitment. We I don't know how much more net spend was or how many money we spent in total, but it's probably 20 million odd, if not more, that we spent itself. Yeah. And we didn't improve the starting 11 apart from maybe Font. Yeah. We didn't actually buy anyone who would walk into our starting eleven and that's the yeah. way you improve your side. Like I, I was surprised we didn't sign a goalkeeper. I know Button I think's been very, very good this season. I think he got a lot of stick on Saturday, which I didn't understand. Yes, yeah. he had a few wayward passes, but Button has that every single game and he's he's been so much better than he was last season. I was expecting us to to sign a left back Rafa Suarez, you'd expect that if he was 100% fit, which I presume he is now, he'd be playing straight away. I'd expect him to sign another centre-back. I think we invested, we needed to invest money, but we just didn't, as you said, didn't invest it in the right areas. And 
we need to invest it in starting 11 players, which we haven't. A lot of the players we sign are just sitting on the bench. I think for all this argument, I may not, I may not phrase it correctly, but we got rid of Sigurdsson, we replaced him with Jallo. That is replacing a third quality centre-back with someone that is about sixth in the depth chart, if we're going to give it an NFL term here. like You don't give away some of that experience and that quality and replace him with someone of so little quality. Yes, he's had a good game against Wickham in, in the Cup and he looked okay-ish. So did Alex Kakanicki last time we played them. Exactly, Sorry. but you don't give away someone like that and then replace him with Jallo. And like Reem, for all that he's done very well over the past season and a half, isn't what you want in a promotion-winning side. And I like Reem. I really do. I think he's great. But we need to upgrade the centre-back pairing if we're going to get up there. Um, which leads on to the next question from Louis Baldock, which is, what is the answer to our defensive issues? Well, so, our, um, our answer is we should have Im- we should have improved it in the summer and we didn't do that. Yeah, but what is the answer now, Domi? Na- well, now it's well now it's just simply we need. I think maybe the midfield needs to provide more cover to it, really, because there seems to be always a mass. Well, as soon as they beat our midfield, it that has got a, not a free run on goal, but can easily get past the centre backs. Maybe we need to play a more defensive minded midfield while Kearney's out, and then once Kearney becomes back, we can revert back to the old system. We saw at Leeds, although I've been impressed with Cissé that much, we've seen him away from home or when we're playing a good side. We play a double pivot off McDonald and Cissé, provides a massive amount of cover to the defensive areas. I know he brought on Cissé on Saturday, but it was at the totally wrong time. We were trying to get back into the game, and I didn't think that made sense at the time, but if you if the defense needs more cover, then you can just you you could be playing a double pivot of Cisse and McDonald with Johansson being the more advanced midfielder mm. with then a front three of front and then whatever wingers you want to play. But I think to provide more cover, yes, maybe a double pivot. But I think it is just down to the lack of poor recruitment in the summer. Yeah, I think Cisse would be that answer there, and he has been it, when he's come on. It has been uh, almost every time has been the wrong time. Um, I can't remember who it was against now um, what we just conceded and, and, and then he came on which I said I think I said at the time Middlesbrough wasn't it yeah he, he should have come on before obviously but um, yeah I think um, maybe we should have probably bought uh, another sort of a centre back to go alongside Ream in the summer as much as I love Callas I think um, was it was that just really short sighted uh, sort of strategy I don't know playing devil's advocate here I do think it is just to do with the lack of cover that it gets from the midfield because if we saw when we played Sessegnon at left wing last season that although he was playing left wing he did come back and help cover whereas I don't think our wingers especially the likes of Aite he doesn't come back and track back enough for me and I just think the defence are left quite open as soon as the ball advances through our midfield when the opposition is running at us so I think it is it is down to the midfield more than down to the defence at the moment because the defence is having to do so much work at the moment and that's always just going to cause problems. The I like the idea of playing a double pivot. I really do. The only thing I've really liked about Cissé this season is the fact that he wears champagne predators from years ago. <laughs> that's the best thing about his play this year. Yeah, he does. But, we were talking last season about... No, sorry, not last season. We were talking last week about failed signings or signings that haven't quite made the grade. I feel like for me... Cissé is definitely one of them. Every time he's come on, he just doesn't seem to be the quality required. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I even as just agree. someone like in the last five minutes to shore up the defence, he doesn't even he doesn't, seem to be capable he, of that. He can't pass the ball as quick as the rest of the team do. He hasn't got the vision that the rest of the team has, which is really a disappointment for me because that standard, he looked really, really good um, in what limited 
So it was a part, of, yeah, apart from that Leeds game, I haven't really been impressed with him yeah. at all. I mean, the Bristol City, uh, Bristol Rovers game, I was furious with him. Like, I've never felt that frustrated with a player's performance than Cissé against um, Bristol Rovers. I thought it was terrible. Um, but I do agree with Dom. Like, if if Kenny's out, we can't hold a, we can't hold the ball as well. We have a, a bit of a lacking of uh, impetus. We sort of do have to be a little bit more conservative with the way we play and maybe a double pivot with Steph Joe roaming in front may may be the way to go. Um, but I do agree we are hugely, hugely easy to play through at the minute. Our our front threes closing down is slow. It's you know pretty much at 50% of what it was last year. And then therefore it forces everyone in the midfield to just scatter and we become very, very wide open McDonald's completely like isolated and very easy to attack and therefore it just leaves the centre-backs completely exposed and it's very easy to create overloads and score. It's as simple as that. Okay, well, I think that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. So thank you for all your questions. Don't forget to keep sending them in uh, during the week. Pod at fullamish.co.uk if you want to elaborate on your points and you want to email us or you can always just get in touch uh, the normal way on Twitter at fullamishpod. Please make sure you give us a follow, by the way, uh, on, on all the social medias at fullamishpod, in particular Instagram, uh, which we're, we're doing some bits at the moment. Ben Jarman loves doing a story. Uh, from time to time we're doing lots of stuff on there so if you have an Instagram account and you're listening to this right now go to Instagram hit the magnifying glass type in Fulhamish give us a follow thank you very much that's your homework for this week so we will be back next Monday I say we I won't be because I'm on holiday so uh, Jack Collins is going to be holding the fort and um, I will see you in a couple of weeks time but we'll be looking back at the Bolton game and looking forward to the Bristol City game which is a midweek at the cottage two games uh, in just a few days at Craven Cottage. Um, just before we go, Secretary Ben, we need to title today's pod. What have you got? The title for today's podcast is Villain of the Villains. Ah, oh, very, very nice. Using my line from the start. I like it. Um, also, we've got to mention that if you have Snapchat, uh, next Tuesday at the Bristol City game, uh, we're going to have the Fulhamish filter back on, aren't we, Ben? Yeah, we are. Um, it's... Basically, uh, if you're in the cottage, you'll be able to use the Fulhamish filter uh, from 7 o'clock onwards till 10 o'clock. So basically the whole duration of the game, um, you'll be able to use it and just, um, yeah, use it to your heart's content. Take selfies and just use the Fulhamish filter and send it to all your friends. Oh, and take a screenshot and make sure you add us on Twitter so we know you've used it. Yeah, definitely. Well, And also um, add us on Snapchat, Fulhamish pod. We're actually on Snapchat every game now. So uh, we're doing little bits on there. So if you have Snapchat as well, get us... Get us on that as well as all the social medias to follow us. There's too many, really. It's hard to keep track, but we're, we're, all, we're trying to be on all the platforms we can. If any more new ones spring up in the next few weeks, we're screwed because we're running out of manpower here. Dom's, uh, Dom's opening up Fulhamish MySpace next week. It was Tumblr, actually. That's what, oh, we're, that's what we're going we're, on. We're, we're, will we get in the top eight? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you very much for listening to Ben Jarman. Thank you for being here tonight. Thanks, mate. Drew Heatley, thank you very much. Cheers, Sammy. And Dom Betts, thank you very much. Cheers. I've been Sammy James. We'll see you soon. Bye. Toodles. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. 
Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 A-cast